You know what I was thinking about the other day? How eerily similar the country of England is to Nebraska. I mean, stay with me here. Because if you think it starts with we both have iconic clocks, clock towers, um, the one of Big Ben, uh, but the one up here with has the little arrow see, so you can actually see it. We call that one uh, Big Dennis after Dennis Linen. Because I'm fairly sure there's a story where he got locked up in there for a while. Um, but that's not where the similarities end. That's just where they begin. I mean, look at here. Uh, they have a great city named York. And, yeah, and, uh, and so do we. We have a great city named York. Some of you are already losing me here because it gets better. Here we go. Uh, they have Stonehenge. We have Carhenge. The biggest waste of two-hour drive you could ever get off to see it. But we have it. We have it. They have guards that wear red. So do we. You see what I'm saying? You see how it's fallen into place here? They have impressive historical structures, Downton Abbey fans. We got that. They are the home of Dukes. That's actually the Duke of York. We have Dukes. We have the home of the Dukes. It's just crazy how it's just, it's just the same almost. They have the Great River Thames. <laughs> we have the mighty Platte River, <laughs> which actually doesn't have a lot of water in it right now. It's just some, it's, they win that one, I'm going to say. But we're going to catch up because they have the world's best soccer league, but we got these guys. Guys, I, I, love, uh, I love to go to London. I had the chance to be there seven or eight times, and some of the study abroad folks talked about their time there. I love the, to ride the subway systems in big cities like New York and places like that, in London especially. Call it the underground or the tube. Because when you ride a subway, I mean, you're riding underground in the darkness, and you walk upstairs, and all of a sudden you emerge into the light. And you're all of a sudden you're staring at something amazing. It's kind of like... You know, like a groundhog or a prairie dog, where you stick your head up and you're going, oh, wow. It's a, great, it's a great thing if you ever had the chance to do it. But when you ride the one in, in London, if you ride it for any similar time, you're going to hear the same thing repeated over and over again on, the, uh, on the, the audio. They play it constantly, constantly. And here's what you're going to hear. Let's see if Mind we can. the gap between the train and the platform. Mind the gap. Blame it one more time. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Mind the gap. It's Mind more the gap between oh, the train and the platform. Mind the gap. It's reminding everybody that rides the train that there's a gap between when you get on and off. And they say, Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. About a thousand times. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. It averages between like eight and 14 inches of a gap in the platform. And they say it over and over and over again to the millions of people that ride the, the underground, the tube, every year. And yet I looked it up. Last year, 650 people needed medical attention because they didn't mind the gap. Actually, you know, they lost some feet and stuff like that because they didn't mind the gap or they, you know, just didn't listen to it after a while. And they had three fatalities. Three fatalities. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. There's a couple of books that I've been reading. I'm not one of these people that I am what I read, but when I read something, I say, yeah, I get that. 
that I already, I kind of already know that. Reading that my first book is called, it's called Gap and the Gain. And it's written by a person that is a, a self-help person to try to get the most out of people. And it reminds us that in life, when we're walking our journey of life, from time to time, our road stops. And there's a gap that appears. There's a distance between where we are and where we'd like to go. There's a distance between who we are and who we'd like to become. There's a distance between how we feel and how we'd like to feel. And the whole book is about how do you deal with the gaps in your life? How do you approach them? What do you do? He says that your mind is, a, is an important tool in this because high-achieving people visualize the gain and they don't focus on the gap. Low-achieving people blame that there's this problem here. And they sit down and they say, <laughs> there's a problem. And they never really deal with it. Um, he says that your brain is a powerful thing. See, you know what it says? If I try to get everybody to, you've seen this on the Internet. I don't want you, in just a second, I'm going to give you something I don't want you to see in your brain. Do not, at any cost, visualize an elephant right now. Don't do it. Don't get it. Don't visualize it. Don't. All right, who couldn't help themselves? The moment we tell our brain not to do something, it wants to do it. And once it gets in there, it can't, it can't forget it, especially the negative. In a nutshell, he says the difference in low achievers and high achievers, low achievers focus on the gap, but high achievers, they put something else in their brain. They visualize at the same time when the negativity starts to creep in, they visualize what the possibilities are on the other side. Now, we know what it's like over here. <laughs> you know, we can sit around and wallow in it, or we can visualize what the possibilities are if we just start to work the problem and not blame the gap. That leads me to my second book, which is written by Navy SEALs. It's called Extreme Ownership. You can't see it there. It's called Extreme Ownership. And who wouldn't want to be a Navy SEAL, right? Toughest guys on the planet. They come in and they get put in situations where they've got to adapt, they've got to overcome. And the one thing it takes to be a successful SEAL and a team leader is you take extreme ownership of every aspect of your life. Your personal life, your discipline, your diet, you take control of all of it, especially your mistakes and your problems. Because when a SEAL meets a problem on a mission, they don't have time to sit and blame the problem. They identify the problem, and then they start to work the problem. He said that's how you achieve extreme ownership. They must own everything in their world. Low achievers blame the gap, curse the gap, and ultimately never bridge the gap, but high achievers work the problem. That's great. Self-help people, Navy SEALs, those guys are awesome, and that's an amazing thing. What does that have to do with me? Well, i got to tell you, the two most limiting words I've ever heard in my, in my world is I can't. I can't. I got on to a student yesterday. We had an assignment that had to be uploaded to the Google Drive in this shared folder that we had. And he came, comes to me after it's a few days late and said, Mr. Lewis, I can't, I can't figure out how to put it in there. I said, seriously, you can't. You, can't you, you exercise all your options to figure this out. Like the 40 other people that successfully did it. You didn't ask any of them. You didn't Google it. You didn't YouTube it. You didn't ask me for help. 
So you seriously can't do it because you, ex you did everything you could possibly do to get that. When you hear the words, I can't, man, it just shuts things down, doesn't it? And I learned this not from a seal, not from a guy that writes books, but I learned it from a guy named Bob. Bob's my father-in-law, and he's been gone about six and a half years now, and man, I miss this dude in my life. I miss having him around and his attitude. Because when this guy, when you told this guy he couldn't do something, you can't, he took it as a personal challenge. Absolutely. Started when he was 15 years old, 14 and a half years old, and he developed rheumatic fever. Rheumatic fever is some kind of virus of your heart that you get if you don't treat strep throat. <laughs> if you're feeling sick, go to the doctor, please. Okay? And so he attacked his heart, and he became so weak that he, and he had to spend a year in the hospital, and all he could do was read. But he was so weak that he couldn't even hold a book up. They had to, like, beam it up on the ceiling where all he could do was move his finger and advance the pages month after month because he was just so weak. And at that point, they said, Bob, you got to realize you probably can't have a normal life anymore. There's things you aren't going to be able to do. You can't do them. And every time Bob would, somebody would tell him that, you know what he would say? He would say, excuse me? Say that with me. Excuse me? One more time. Excuse me? And I could just hear him in his 15-year-old voice saying, excuse me? Uh, yeah, he uh, said he couldn't, couldn't wrestle anymore, but he did. He overcame the rheumatic fever. He, he, cardio was never a thing for him, but he developed his upper body strength so much that he used to take bets that he could do. Can anybody here do 100 chin-ups? He could do 100 chin-ups, and he would bet people he could do it. He said he made $600, and that's $1,955, people. That's like $3,000 now. Just on betting people he could do 100 chin-ups. That's how much he wanted it. That's how much he wanted it. They told him out of school that he can go to college. He wanted to start his own carpentry business. They said, you can't do it. You don't have the experience to be a, a finished carpenter. He said, you can't do it. And he told them, excuse me? And so he did do that, and he got so good at it, he had some of his work and remodel jobs in Better Homes and Gardens magazine, and they came to him and said, hey, would you help us remodel the governor's mansion of Iowa? Your work's so good. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't do anything with those scraps. His workers, every Friday, they would throw out a bunch of stuff they had laying around, and, they, and he saw some stuff in the, in the wood bin, and he, he goes, what's this? And they said, you can't, we can't do anything with those scraps. And he said, so he took that weekend and he just made this out of spite, out of the scraps that were in that bin that day. I fit that really well. I love to ride that thing. It's even got a brand on it in hair in a weekend because you don't tell him he can't do something. Um, he liked to go to Canada to fish. In the backwater, he would fly in with some friends in a float plane. And he said, hey, I think I'd like to be a, a, a pilot, get my pilot's license. And one of the lawyer guys there that was the plane, he says, oh, Bob, I, I, I don't think you can. You can't do that because there's too many calculations. You didn't go to college, right? No. Well, you really can't be a pilot unless you have a lot of upper uh, math and stuff like that. I don't think you can do it. And he said, everybody together now. This side right here, he said, yes, he did. 
He didn't realize, you ever been a finished carpenter and had to do calculations in your brain? You don't need a calculator. You don't need a, one of these things. He'd been doing calculations for years. He not only became, got his pilot's license, he got his own airplane, and he became a flight instructor. This is what we're dealing with here with this guy. Uh, on, it was 2008, and we were in a recession back there. The, the housing bubble or burst, or the banking bubble, whatever it was back then, it burst. And the business was slow. And yet he got into his mind, he went up to his account, and he goes, I'd like to give every one of my grandkids on their 16th birthday a brand new Jeep. And his accountant looked at him and said, you can't be that generous right now, Bob, because times are tough. And he looked at him and said, excuse me, and he did. He goes, we'll find other ways to sacrifice, but we can and we will do that. And that's something I'm going to do from now on. When he was 55 years old, he miserably failed one of those stress tests with your heart. In fact, it turned out that one-third of his heart, from the rheumatic fever as a kid, it was one-third of his heart was dead. There was no blood flow at all. He had to have five bypass surgery, which I think is the most they would do at that time, was five, to try to reroute blood flow to get it in there. Okay? Uh, it turns out that they did it. It was successful. They said he wouldn't live there, and he said, excuse me, and, and he got through the, the, the surviving the heart surgery, but his heart function was so low, he could no longer, they said, Bob, you can't be a pilot anymore. And he said, so Bob went to the University of Iowa, he bought a camper, went to the University of Iowa Medical Center, and he did this experimental thing called hyperbaric uh, chamber treatments, where you get in that chamber right there, that enclosed tube, and they inject pure oxygen in your body, and they force your heart to pump it all, all the way through. And what the, the, the purpose is, is to try to create new pathways in your body. You have 60 miles of blood vessels in your body. Did you know that? A lot of them are the size of a human hair, but there's 60 miles of them. And in Bob's case, they were closing off. They didn't get blood flow for so long. They were just kind of laying dormant, and they were shut. They were going to try to pressure his heart with pure oxygen to try to open up new pathways, to try to regain function. Did it work? It wasn't supposed to, but he said, excuse me, and he regained 15% of his heart function. This is over nine months with 100 treatments in that tube, four or five hours a day. Claustrophobic, uncomfortable, but he said, when somebody said he can't do something, he was going to do anything he could to prove them wrong. That's who we're dealing with here. You may say to yourself in this crowd today, Mr. Lewis, that's fine. Seals, book writers. Subways, even your father-in-law, it's cool, but you don't understand my situation because my gap is not 8 to 14 inches. This is what I'm looking like. I've got stuff going on in my life that's like the Grand Canyon. And if you were me, you would also say you can't. You would also be focusing on the gap and not the, the gain. But i got to tell you, I've been where you are. I've absolutely been where you are. Two weeks ago today, the 13th, was the fifth year anniversary where my oldest son died, passed away. He had heart issues based on chemotherapy when he was a kid. It's fine. And five years ago, if you'd have came to me, I came this close, probably thought it, but never did let myself say it, that God, I can't understand, I'll never understand why my son had to go. I can't see me ever being the same again. My life not getting back to whatever this is and me finding any joy in it again. I can never see that happen. Never, I just came that short to saying it. 
But with enough people in this place and others that encapsulated me, enclosed me, that held me up when I couldn't stand, that injected pure love, like the oxygen of love, into my life, God successfully found new pathways for my heart. There's part of my heart that's still dead. It's still not working. But I have new pathways now. I have different pathways. Let's have my intro to bu- 2 o'clock intro to business class stand up real quick. On that day, a bunch of them went out to the, this is a bench in front of the library that says a memorial to my son. And a lot of these guys went over and they took selfies. You guys can sit down now. You can get all the glory here. It's not about you. But it is about you. Because they went out there, took selfies and pictures on the bench, and they sent it to my wife and I on that day. It's people like you. It's people like them that are constantly creating new pathways. When you're in community with people that love and share the pure oxygen, the pure love of Christ that makes all the difference in the world. So I've decided to replace I can't with all the things that say I can, including this scripture, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through him and the people that wear his name and serve in his name. I can do things that I couldn't do before. When I want to say I can't, they help me remember that I can with help because new pathways can create it. That's my challenge today. Is what, what do you do when you face gaps? We all get them. What do you focus on? Focus on the gain, not the gap. Take extreme ownership of your decisions. Delete the words I can't from your vocabulary and trust God to create new pathways for your heart because if I can do it, so can you. Thanks for listening.